So we were in Genesis chapter 12, the beginning of the blessing, but I want to point out a couple of other things uh, from Genesis, the end of Genesis chapter 11, some important things. So you might remember Genesis chapter 11, verse 26, it says, Terah lived 70 years and he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And then we had read last time how Haran had passed away and, and he had a son, one of his sons was Lot. And then in verse 30 it said, Sarai was barren, she had no child. So Abram's wife was barren. Now the Word of God picks that thing out and, and stresses that because, because that's going to become relevant uh, in just a moment. But there was this call here upon that family and they were called out of that land. Now, there is a verse in Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. It says, Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abram, and the father of Nahor. And he served other gods. So it talks about how how Terah, this is the father of Abram, was an idol worshiper. So where did Abram come from? He came from a family that was a family of idol worshipers. Now the Bible doesn't tell us anything specifically about Abram, whether he too was an idol worshiper, but the family was idol worshipers. And in fact, the names of several of the people, of, of, of uh, uh, Terah, Terah's son, some of his sons, and his, da- his, his, uh, his granddaughters, uh, and then also his, his, uh, one of his daughters, Sarai. Those are all named after certain elements of the moon god. They worship the moon idol. And so this is the background that Abram comes from when he got the call. And so the call was uh, 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 to go to a land, and he didn't know exactly where he was going because the New Testament tells us, and he was called to a land not knowing where he was going. So the initial call, he didn't know that he was being called into the land of Canaan. Above it, when it talks about, and God, they were instructed to go to Canaan, that's looking from the view of the writer of, of uh, um, the book of Genesis. Moses says he's writing the book of Genesis. He knows what the future is going to be within that context of the book. But we are told from the New Testament that Abram didn't know where he was going. So let's pick it up again in chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. So there is the command. He tells him to go forth. And what we said last time, he says, God gives him a command and then there's three blessings. Then God's going to give another command. And if you do this, you get three more blessings. So it's three to one. This is the command. You, you, you're, you're to leave your family and go to, into the land. That's the command. And here is the blessing that he says. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. Those are the three things. I will make you a great nation. We looked at that last time. This is exactly what the people in chapter 11 of Genesis wanted at the Tower of Babel. They wanted to create a nation for themselves. They wanted a name for themselves. They were really concerned with the name. And God is here going to bless them. But now comes the second command. So the three things is, I'm going to make you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. 
It's a little bit confusing because our Bibles don't separate the verses in this way, but now comes the imperative. And so you shall be a blessing. This is a commandment to be a blessing. We, we touched on this last time as well, and we're going to pick, on it more, pick up on it more this time. And so you shall be a blessing. So this is now the second command here. You shall be a blessing. This is the command. And then what are you going to do if, if you obey me in this? That's given in verse 3. Here's the three blessings you're going to get. And I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So again, it's three things I'm going to do if you do this one thing. And so you see the goodness of God in this. And he says in verse 3, And I will bless those who bless you. And he's speaking, in, in, he, I will bless those, plural, I will bless the many that bless you. If they bless you, I will bless them. If they bless you, I will bless them. And you see this, we're going to see this as we go through the book of Genesis. Those who bless Moses, are blessed in, uh, bless Abram, are blessed in return. Those who bless Abram, they're going to be blessed in return. And it says, and the one who curses you, I will curse. Now this is a really interesting portion. Because in... Our English, it says, the one who curses you, I will curse. It uses the same word. The one who curses you, I will curse. But it's actually not the same word. And, and uh, um, the context here is the one who disesteems you. If you look in the Young's literal transver- translation, it's the one who disesteems you. The one who looks upon you poorly. It's a very mild sort of thing. The one who just disesteems you, doesn't show you the esteem that I feel you're worthy of. The one who disesteems you, I will curse. And that second curse is such a strong curse. Uh, um, there, there are translators who translate that second word, for that second curse, as I will harm you. I will harm them. I will do them harm. So it could be read, the one who disesteems you, I will harm it's so emphatic that when, so people may, may, you know, say a curse and it doesn't mean anything. But when God says it, something really bad is going to happen. And so that's why it's translated, and I will harm that person. The one who disesteems you, I will harm. It's so disproportional. You know, we have this thing, well, it should be equal. Well, who are we to counsel God, all right? Who does he think he is? God? Well, yeah, right. So God's allowed to do this. So, so the way God does this is he, he, he says the one who disesteems you, the one who looks on you, even negatively, just looking on you, I will harm that person. It's so disproportional. We have gone through in this class before and we'll go through it again at some point as we go through the book of Genesis, where, where I've listed out the ways where Abram, you watch the life of Abram, then he, God changes his name to Abraham, the father of many nations. And you see the people that blessed him, God blessed. The people that disesteemed him, God cursed. And that then was translated not just to Abraham, that blessing, that blessing and cursing came upon the descendants of Abraham. So unlike any other people group, this one was isolated out. Now, why this one? 
why this particular people group, but let me just, just finish up this thought, that those who came against Israel, God often allowed people to come against Israel because of their disobedience, but even into modern history, and you can just map this out, those that came against them, what happened to them as a result? Those that came against them, what happened to them as a result? And sometimes that result wouldn't hit for a hundred years, but it would come. It would come upon those peoples. But we'll, we'll pick up on that later. But why these particular people? What was it that, that, uh, what was it that they had done that was, that was so special here? This is an example of election where God chooses a particular person for nothing inherent in which that person has done. Do you know who else has been elected? Everyone who is in Christ has been elected. It is nothing for what you have done. So if we look in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter, uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. God talks about why He chose, why He chose this people, Israel, to drop His goodness upon. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the people. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So why did He do this? He says there was a promise, but just because I loved you. That's it. Because I loved you. You will see throughout the New Testament over and over again this pattern of election. If you're ever concerned about whether this is really true, this pattern of election, read Romans chapter 9. It is filled with election, where God chooses particular people. In fact, that chapter, Romans chapter 9, really bothers a lot of, a, a lot of people because it seems as if God sort of takes sides. And He does. Remember, God came to people in general. Humankind failed three times, once in the Garden of Eden, once in Genesis chapter 6, where they were intermarrying with these demonic spirits, and then once in, 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 in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. And then he goes right in after one man and the family derived from that man. He goes right in after that one man and the descendants of that man. But he makes a promise in the midst of it. He makes a promise in the midst of it. That through that man and through his family, that the Redeemer will come and every family on earth will be blessed through that man. And you see that in, in, gen, in the end of, of verse 3 of Genesis chapter 12. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed through that offspring of Abraham. Because it's through Abraham that the Messiah comes. And that is why the genealogies are so critical, are so important. Because that's what maps out that this comes right through Abraham is where Jesus comes from. And that's why the genealogies were so well kept and so well documented. And then after Jesus is born, and that is fulfilled, you see no more genealogies in the New Testament. None. After Jesus, you see no more genealogies. So that anybody couldn't say, well, you know, I'm from the same family as Jesus. None of that. There's none of that. 
It ends right there because once the Messiah comes, the documentation has been fulfilled. And we see that the Messiah has come. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Him. He says, the one who curses you, I will curse, and in you all the families will be blessed. Well, how do you get this blessing? I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It all comes from this imperative, and so you shall be a blessing. He was obliged to be a blessing. Abram was obliged to bless other people. This is why when he goes and he delivers Sodom and Gomorrah, and he, he, he frees, he, he, he frees those, those towns. He releases them. He doesn't take for himself from the spoils. And so you see again and again, he's a blessing. But God has the same thing upon us. So what I want to do is I want to turn to, to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and we're going to start reading from verse 27. If that's what was expected of Abram, what is expected of us? What is expected of you who are in Christ? If you are not in Christ, this doesn't pertain to you. But if you call yourself, according to the name of Jesus Christ, that you are a Christian, this is what is expected of you. Just as Moses was, as Abram was commanded and there was blessing that followed his following that blessing. There are commands upon us. And remember, there are blessings that God gives us whether we obey or not. People who disobey, there are blessings that they get all the time, like air to breathe, like they have eyes that they can see, they have legs that they can walk. There are blessings that, we, we, that come upon us that don't come because of acts of obedience. But then there are many blessings that come Strictly by acts of obedience. And here we see some of those. In, 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 uh, in Luke chapter 6, reading from verse 27. So this is Jesus speaking. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. This is the expectation now upon us. But I say to you who hear, I'm telling you this. I say this to you. Love your enemies. Does that sound like a suggestion? No, a suggestion would be, um, well, it might be good if you were to love your enemies. That's a suggestion. Or I suggest that you love your enemies. That would be a very nice thing. It doesn't say that. It says, love your enemies. You do good to those who hate you. Huh? If somebody hates me, now I'm under obligation. I can't not just hate them back. I am obliged to do them an act of good. You see how in the New Testament, Jesus raises the bar on us. He told Abram, you are to be a blessing. Simple enough. He tells us, you are to do good to those who hate you. And I've seen this over and over again. When you do specific acts of good, you overcome, the Bible says, overcome evil with good. You do specific acts of good. 
and it makes you love them more. They will generally love you more as well, but it makes us love them when we do particular acts of good to people who hate us. So, so uh, um, you've heard of, I, I, I've said a couple of things, you, you, you know, we, 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 we have these neighbors who put up with us a lot because we fill up the street with cars on Sunday. I mean, just both sides. It just, and and uh, um, once in a while, some of the neighbors have, have gotten upset with us. And as soon as we sense them getting upset, we do acts of good. Bring them cake. Bring them things. Invite them over the home. You, we, we do specific acts of good when we start sensing that, that things are going wrong. And so sh- what Shireen will also do is two or three times a year, she'll have have a party at our home for the neighbors. Just invite all the neighbors. They don't all come, but she invites them all. Just to know that we're going to do good things. We're going to do good things for them. And then on, on the neighborhood watch night, we always have that. And she calls the, the, the police and the fire trucks and they come and they come and they put on their lights for the little kids and things like that. And they, the kids get to climb up on the fire trucks. Specific acts of good. And we do this. Specific acts of good. And what it does is it causes us to love them more and it causes them to look more favorably upon us. C.S. Lewis gives an example of the negative of this. So what happened in Nazi Germany is, is, is the Nazis didn't, didn't like the Jewish people. And then they would occasionally throw stones through their storefront windows. And you'd think that, okay, now they threw the stones, now that would have, you, you know, you know satisfied them and they'd stop bothering the Jewish people. No, it made them hate them more till they took them and they put them in ghettos, just separated them. And you'd say, okay, well, well, well that would, would, would somehow now, now squelch their, their, their hatred and they'd be done. No, then they had to put them in concentration camps. And you'd say, okay, now that fulfilled all their hatred. No, they had to kill them. So when you do an act of evil, it makes you hate them even more. Just like when you do an act of good, it makes you love them more. That's the whole idea. He says you do good to those who hate you. It's not a neutral thing. It's not, they hate me, I'll hate them back. No, it's not that. Or they hate me, so I'll just stay out of their way. It's not that either. Do you see that this is a command to do good to those who hate you? Who is it who bothers you? Find out what they like and do them an act of good. Just as Abram was obliged to do this, we too are obliged to respond in this way. Bless those who curse you. Huh? Bless those who curse you. Do you see what they, the sign they just gave me as I'm driving along? That universal sign that everybody knows? The Bible says you are to, yes, the peace sign, yes. <laughs> yeah. you, you are to bless them in return. You are to bless them. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. You are obliged to pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus raises the bar on us. You call yourself a child of God. You call yourself by the name Christian. Live by it. You have no right to use that name if you do not obey this. I say to you who hear, do this, Jesus says. Pray for those who mistreat you. I had a colleague at work, and, and, uh, um, and he used to... He, so, so 
so we, we, we started working at the university. I started a year before him. And this is before I started working at Rice. So it's, it was nobody here. So this was 30 years ago. And, and uh, um, I started one year before him. And he came with great credentials and everything. And, and uh, uh, he had been there about six months. I had been there about a year and a half. And he came into my office one day. And I, and I remember, he put his arm on top of the file cabinet. And he looked at me. He said, I'll get tenure before you ever do. That's a, that's a really nasty thing to say. And, and, and uh, I know it, it doesn't mean much to you, but it's, it's like saying to somebody, I'm better looking than you are. But even if it were true, it's an ugly thing to say. And, and I had been there a year before he was, and so, so what he was saying is, I'm just so much better than you, I'm going to pass you in this tenure thing. Well, anyway, God blessed my work so much, so much, and, and, it, and, it, and my career rose very rapidly, so that within about three years, I, I no longer had a little metal student desk and a, and, and a concrete floor. I had carpeting, and I had a big wooden desk, and I had a secretary in the front office, and, and, and all these things that, that made my life easier. And he still had a student desk with a, with a concrete floor and all these things. And so normal jealousy starts coming in and he started telling students things about me and, and so one day this young lady came to me she said, you know, his professor's always saying bad stuff about you and I got really upset I went over, crossed the hall, knocked on his door and I, and I just was really going to give it to him and he wasn't in and as I stood out outside his door fuming God began to speak to me because I was memorizing Luke, the entire chapter 6 with my kids and, and, uh, and I, he spoke to me from this verse that you are to pray for those who mistreat you and I said right outside his door, I said, I will do it, Lord. And, and so I always break at midday, and I've done this since I was an undergraduate. I'll break sometime around midday, and I will go and pray. So I went to the chapel to pray, and I would go and pray. And so added to my prayer list for my noonday prayers was to always pray for this guy and his work, that God would bless him and bless his work. And God blessed him, and he became so successful. He got these big NIH grants, and, and his career took off, and he got an offer from another university, and he took it, and he left. And I was so happy. But God <laughs> blessed that man. God blessed him. God blessed him. Now, I invited him to Christian meetings. He would never come, and he'd say, religion is a personal thing. You know, and, and rather than just saying thank you, it was always something of an affront, but God blessed him through the prayers that I gave. And then God took care of the situation. But you are to pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus raises the bar. Let's look in Luke chapter 6, skip down to verse 35. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. <clears throat> so now he's, he, he, he's pulling together, he's summarizing this portion for us. He says, but love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be, not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So again, he stresses, but love your enemies. So he tells us again, love your enemies. Love them. When the Bible repeats something, that is like huge call out. You know, that's flashing icon. Love your enemies. This is an imperative. 
So, so often what I have to pray is, Lord, give me love for that person. Lord, give me love. I pray all the time, Lord, give me love for the lost. Give me love for people who don't know you. Because without that, I don't care. I don't care if people go to hell. I don't care. I'm busy. That's on them. I just care about me and my family. Without my praying, Lord, give me love for them, I don't love them. I'm just telling you. Maybe you love everybody. I just don't care about the lost. Without praying, God changed my heart. God, give me a love for the lost. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. So, so he puts it this way, that, that, that you are to cry out for the salvation of the lost with such fervency as if your loved one were being drawn away to the gallows. And the one who controlled that decision was in front of you. You are to cry out with that intensity. Would you take no for an answer? No, he's going to the gallows. Oh, okay. I try. See ya. <laughs> Been nice knowing you. Would you do that for your loved one? You'd be, please. Lord, save them. This is something I never learned in evangelism class. Taken lots of evangelism classes, and they were merely methodology, which is good. But it never got at the heart. If you read, how did, how, how did Charles Spurgeon pull this off? How did George Whit, Whitfield have thousands upon thousands coming to the Lord? It says that George Whitfield would be overcome with weeping even while he was speaking and it would take him some time to compose himself and he would cry out, if you will not cry for your own souls, I'll cry for you. And that shames me. He said, say, Lord, in my heart, I just don't even care. I don't even care. And then I read the works of these men and it's no wonder why they saw so many salvations. Because they really cared. So when somebody says, no, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to accept the Lord. I always used to be, okay, I try. Off to the gallows, you go. But now I'm like, no, no, no. You can't just stop there. Let me show you some more verses. And I go through again. Do you know what awaits you? You don't just take no for an answer. We cry out on behalf of the lost. He says, but love your enemies and do good. Again, he calls us to acts of good. Love your enemies and do good. It is an act of good we must, must come with. Acts of good. It's just not like, good day. No, it is an act of good. Do good. So we are now obliged to do good because our Lord has commanded us. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And so what's the outcome of all this? And your reward will be great. He doesn't specify it, but he says your reward will be great. You just leave it up to the Lord. He knows how to bless you much better than you know how to call upon what you want for blessing. So for example, you don't let a two-year-old decide what toy they want. Because they'll just grab the first thing in front of their face. You buy something for a two-year-old that you know that in the long run they're going to like it much more. We're like two-year-olds. We don't know what we want. God knows what's better. 
Your reward in heaven will be great. Leave it to me. I'll choose it. I like that, Lord. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. How great is that? You will be sons of the Most High. Do you see how this is a much higher call than what he called Abram in the Old Testament? But it's also a much higher blessing. And you will be sons of the Most High. doesn't say, and you will be called sons of the Most High. You will be sons of the Most High. You'll be in my family. This is the reward. I'll take care of your reward. And you will be my son. You will be my child. You're in my family. You're in my family. If you do this, do you see how that blessing is dependent upon obedience? It is, you do this, and I'll do this. These blessings are all dependent upon acts of obedience. You do this, you love your enemies, you do good, you lend, you don't expect things in return. I've done enough. Look, we've had enough people to our home. I think you guys should invite Shireen to your home and you take care of her for a while and then she'll start having you back. No! You do good. You do acts of good expecting nothing in return. This is what we're called to do. We are to expect nothing in return. And we'll get a reward and we'll be sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. He is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Well, they're just not grateful. Well, welcome to the world of Jesus. Welcome to His life. God is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Not just people who are ungrateful, but actually evil. God is good to them. He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. So he's saying, I'm not asking you to do anything that I don't do myself. He says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Somebody's done you wrong, show them mercy. Show them mercy. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. That word pardoned, if you look at it again in your Young's literal version, it is... It, it is, it is uh, um, this word, this, this word uh, um, pardon is to release. Release. Now, if it said release and you will be released, that's what it says in the Young's literal version. It says that we don't use that word release. But it's a very descriptive word. Let it go. Release it. Release it. Somebody has done you wrong, pardon them. Release them. Release them from it, and you will be released. That's a good one. Because if you hold on to it, you are the one who is, who is imprisoned. I am imprisoned if I will take an offense and not let it go. I am the one imprisoned. If I release, then I'll be released. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. 
the same way you do this, you'll get it back in return. And he, many people use this in, in the context of giving money. This has nothing to do with the context of giving money. In fact, there are verses in the context of giving mon- money. Plenty of verses in the New Testament. And it says, and, 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 uh, uh, whatever a man sows that he shall also reap. That's again in, in, in regard to behavior, but also in regard to giving. This in particular, if you look just what he's talking about, he says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. And the same way that you dish this out is the way you're going to get it. young lady came to my office and uh, she was just so distraught because, because uh, uh, in, in the lab, nobody wants to be her friend. Nobody's helping her at all. And I said, have you been nice to others? Look at the way that you've spoken to others. Look at the way that, that, that you've spoken to them and the things that you've said to them when they first joined the group and the way you treated them. Is it any surprise to you? And I took her to this portion in Luke chapter 6. She's not a believer. And she just read this and she just started crying. She said, this is so beautiful. This is so so beautiful. Then she wrote to me this long email. She said, I can't get away from these words. These words are so powerful. That's exactly it. Whatever we give out, we're going to get. You treat people harshly, you'll be treated harshly. You treat people who are new at work like you're really something because you've been working there for six months. You'll be treated the same way. However we treat people, he says it'll come right back to you. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. If you pour it in a person's lap, you're going to get poured into your lap. If you press it down, you're going to get pressed down. However we dish it out, we're going to get. That means that if we do acts of good... Acts of good will come upon us. Maybe not from the same source, but leave it up to the Lord. This is what He calls us to do. He sets the bar much higher, but then the expectations upon us are higher in Christ. And the blessings are greater to us in Christ. He invites us. He says, and you're going to come into my family. But this is exactly who Jesus is. That blessing to Abraham. Now we're going to go through the book of Genesis And we're going to track the blessings that are going to come upon Abraham and his acts of obedience and the blessings that are going to come. And you could do the same with a person's life. I'm telling you, you could do the same with an individual's life. And remember, I've been been a professor for over 30 years. So imagine all the data points I have. And I get to see students. I see students who become servers who serve and bless other people, who get interested in in blessing other people, and I see their lives. They end up marrying spouses who are unselfish, and they have these very happy marriages, and people who are selfish often marry other people who are also selfish, and now you have two selfish people in a marriage, and it's a difficult marriage. The data points are there. You could track human life today according to this pattern. Walk this way. Now, if you do not know the Lord, you have not the power to walk in this. This is too grand for you. This is too great a thing. You have not this power. It's only in Christ. And I beg you today to come to Jesus. If you have not given your life to Jesus, say, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, and come into my life. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the challenge before us through this word to Abram. And then the words of Jesus, the imperatives that have come to us. Father, I pray for these young people that you get a hold of their hearts. That they would learn to love those who hate them. Pray for those who mistreat them. And that your blessing and riches would fall upon them as a result. Father, that, for, that as you work in their hearts, draw them so that they would pour out of themselves. Father, I pray that you draw them into conformity with Jesus Christ. And Lord, those here who do not know you, I pray, O oh Lord, that you would so work in their lives. So work in their lives, Lord, that they would cry out this day, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Father, save somebody today, I pray. Save them today. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.